Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and the Apple ecosystem. This is episode number seven. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is sponsored by Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Jeff, does your back hurt lately? Are you carrying too much gear? My back does hurt. I am carrying too much gear. In fact, I had a specific gear-related, uh, not injury, but I realized that the the uh, messenger bag that I was carrying was completely pulling on my side. Is that the Peak Design messenger bag? It is the Peak Design, which I love. It is, it's really well made. Um, and I realized that it didn't have anything to do with the bag itself. It's just that, that messenger style, which I prefer in general, but carrying it around, going to coffee shops and having my laptop and, and all of that, it just had the cumulative effect of uh, being a pain in the back. Yeah, I have the same bag. I think we have the same. I have the 13-inch. I think they call it the 13-inch bag for a 13-inch laptop. And I like the bag. I like the way you can move the inserts around to fit different things. I like the way it closes with that little sort of magnetic hook thing. But the bag, when it's empty, weighs two kilos already. And that's heavier than my camera and all my lenses. So I have used it on trips. And what I've decided in the future is instead of lugging that around, I always have a backpack. I have a very light backpack that I carry around. It's got my glasses, my driver's license, a bottle of water, you know, things like that. And it weighs next to nothing. So I bought a little insert. I'll put a link in the show notes to an Amazon link for these things. You can get some of these little foam inserts and you just drop it into your backpack. And they weigh next to nothing, and you can slip your camera and your lenses in. And I realized I don't need to have a separate bag because it's two things to carry around since I've already got the knapsack. However, whenever I go on a trip and I plan to take photo gear, I will bring the bag to carry the gear in the car. Then where I get to where I'm going, I'll take what I want and put it in the knapsack. Because wherever you're shooting, you may not need all the gear that you take. Well... Having the dividers especially is something that I like with a bag like that. And I ended up actually buying the Peak Design backpack to replace it because I like the structure. In Seattle, I tend to go to coffee shops a lot. And so I'm, I'm fairly mobile and I like being able to carry all my stuff. But this brings up an interesting question. For two guys who don't like to talk about gear, we're suddenly talking about gear. How'd that happen? Well, we're not talking about gear. We're talking about how we rationalize our photo system to use as little gear as possible, because I think that's what we've both done indirectly, right? Exactly. Just looking at bags, we've had lots of discussions of bags. I still have way too many bags. I'm sure you also have bags. Yep. And it, it brings up that question of, what do I really need? Do I really need to have seven bags? Obviously, I don't. Do I really need to have... 20 different lenses. And in talking about this as a possible topic earlier, we realized that there's just a lot that photographers carry around or they want to buy or they buy on impulse. Cough, cough. I'm totally guilty of that. <laughs> um, and uh, over time, you realize that, wow, we don't really need that much stuff. We really don't. So let's just go through what we've carried over the years and what's really necessary and what we've found is superfluous. I think we can all agree that the camera is important. Oh, we need a camera too? Well, you, you could just shoot with your iPhone and then you wouldn't have to worry about all the rest, right? Let's say you're shooting with an iPhone and nothing else. The only accessories that I would say are essential is maybe one of those little tripods that you can put the iPhone on 
what are the brands that have the flexible things that you can tie around branches and all that to get in different positions? The Gorilla Pods. Gorilla Pods, right. Link in the show notes. Other than that, you don't need that much if you're shooting with an iPhone, do you? No, you don't. In fact, I've had iPhone-related gear that sounded great at the time, and then I realized that I, I just wasn't using it. One example that I, I ran across in my jumble of gear here, there was a, a Kickstarter called uh, – Popa, P-O-P-A, or Papa. And it was a neat idea uh, way back, I want to say the iPhone 4, and it gave you a handle grip and a shutter button, and you would plug the iPhone into, you know, a little 30-pin connector. Sounded great. It gives you that sort of more traditional feel of a camera. And it, it was a very successful Kickstarter. I got the, the device. The build is just hard enough to make the connection, like the slot is just a little bit too tight, that it was a hassle. And I realized, this comes to a bigger point, it was a, another thing that I had to carry in order to make the phone photography happen that I didn't really need. So if we consider the minimum to be an iPhone, and then the next step is to be a camera, a lot of people like us have mirrorless cameras, which are smaller and lighter than those big-ass DSLRs that you see people lugging around. And I know in photography groups that I'm in on Facebook, an awful lot of people have talked about moving to either Fuji or Olympus because their backs were hurting, their necks were hurting. These big Nikons and Canons and their lenses were so heavy. And it's really worth considering if you've got camera gear that's a few years old and you're thinking of upgrading, sure, you've got 17 lenses, but you can sell all that stuff. You can either sell it on eBay or you can sell it to a camera store that's going to let you trade it in for new gear. It's worth looking at mirrorless cameras. The quality is extraordinary. You may not get the same number of megapixels, but you may not need that number of megapixels for what you're shooting. And you can maybe cut your weight in half. If you take one of those big DSLRs and you put one of those big zoom lenses on it, you've got a really heavy, bulky camera. Whereas my X-Pro2 or my X100F, which is even lighter... I don't even feel them when I'm carrying them. I never put a strap around the back of my neck. I always put it across my sort of bandolier style. But I never even notice the cameras when I'm walking around. They're so light. Well, what you said about having, you know, 17 different lenses really also speaks to, you know, not just the the, the weight issue and possibly even like, like a storage issue, like where are you going to put all that? But the bigger question of are you actually using all those lenses? Obviously, you bought some lenses because you had some specific uses for them. But how often is that coming up? If you're a, a you know a professional studio photographer, it makes more sense to have a lot more variety. But if you're going out on weekends or if you're just sort of casually shooting like like a lot of us do, do you really need seven different lenses? And of those, how many are you going to take with you? And of those, how many are you going to use? If you use Apple Photos, go into the file menu, choose new smart album, and in the menu on the left, choose lens, includes, and then click the arrow button to see all the lenses that are in your library. You'll see every lens for every photo that has lens information. So for instance, I'm looking at my Olympus, there's a 17, there's a 25, there's a 30, there's a 45, different iPhones are showing different things. And what you should do is choose each of your lenses, create a new smart album for each of your lenses, and then you'll see how much you really use them. 
Can you do that in Lightroom as well? You can. You can do it in Lightroom Classic, not Lightroom CC. But in the library module, there's a metadata filter that will tell you every lens and every camera that you've used in your entire library. Right. And that's a good way to see what you use and when and where. We're going to do an episode in the future about lenses. We'll talk about the difference between prime lenses and zoom lenses and when you might want to use them. But if you don't want to take too many lenses with you, it's a good chance that you bought a camera that came with what's called a kit lens, an inexpensive zoom lens that covers slightly wide to slightly telephoto. And some years ago, these lenses were considered to be inferior and they weren't that good, but they are now. They're really quite good. Frankly, unless you're a pixel peeper, you're not going to notice a difference between, you know, that f1.4 lens and maybe the f2 kit lens that you have. So... I think most people could get by for most of their shooting with just a single lens, with just one of those zoom lenses. As we'll discuss when we talk about lenses, I prefer shooting with prime lenses. And in that case, look at the focal lengths you use. Do you use more than one or two different focal lengths? Do you use one or two and maybe you want a telephoto at some point? Maybe you can stick that telephoto, leave it in the trunk of the car until you absolutely need it instead of carrying it around all the time. Do you have any specific lenses that you thought were going to be great that you just got rid of or found yourself not using? Well, I moved from Olympus to Fuji earlier this year, and I had a half a dozen lenses, and I used all of them roughly about the same. The only one that I didn't use much was a 40 to 150 zoom lens. That's a 80 to 300 millimeter equivalent in 35 millimeter equivalent. It was relatively inexpensive. I wanted to have a long telephoto zoom in case I needed it. And I only used it a handful of times. But then I sold all of that. I moved to Fuji. I've got the X100F with a fixed lens. I've got the X-Pro2 and I've only got two lenses for it. I've got an, an 18 and I've got a 35. So those are 27 and 50 millimeter equivalents. And I just ordered a 55 to 200 millimeter zoom lens to cover the long end. But when I was using the Olympus, I really was using the five lenses or so regularly. I like macro photography. I like shooting flowers. So I had a specific Olympus macro lens. I like the sort of short telephoto. So I had a 45 millimeter Olympus, which is a 90 millimeter equivalent. And I would walk around with that a lot. So I did use the lenses fairly often. But those lenses are small and light. None of them are big and heavy. Olympus lenses are particularly small. They're smaller than Fuji lenses. That reminds me something that we've mentioned before on the show, that if there are lenses that you are interested in, by all means, rent them first. Someplace like Lens Rentals makes it really easy to do this online. And not only do you get an idea of what sort of photos you can make with it, but you really do get that extremely important hands-on, how much does it weigh, how bulky is it, that that physical experience with it without having to go and, and spend all the money for a brand new lens. For me, at one point, I bought this quite lovely, it's a Sigma 10 to 20 millimeter, super wide. It's technically a zoom because it goes from 10 to 20, but it's you know the, the 20 is still really, really wide. And I bought that because I had seen some great images online. It's, uh, it, it has such a, uh, an extreme distortion that that was part of the appeal. And it was on sale. Let's just throw that out there too, of course. And so I got it. And it, it ends up being a fairly big, fairly heavy lens. And although I think it's a great lens, I realized that I just wasn't taking those sorts of shots. So 
when you have something like this in mind, you want to make sure that you have a reason to go and use it because of its focal length, not just I'm going to go out and shoot some nature because that extreme wide angle can work really great for big sweeping landscapes and stuff. But if that's not what you're doing during the middle of the day, uh, you don't really need to carry it. My somewhat equivalent to your lens is an 18 millimeter Fuji. I would never have considered buying this lens, but when I bought the X-Pro2, there was a promotion where they were giving this lens for free with the X-Pro2. I had been planning to get the X-Pro2, so I jumped on this. It's like a 400 pounds lens, and I've used it a few times, and I really, really like it. So it's a 27 millimeter equivalent, which is wider than what I'm usually comfortable with, but when I have used it, I've liked it. In fact, I'll put a photo in the show notes, which was probably the first real picture I took with this lens. My partner and I had gone to Bristol to see something at the theater, and we were staying in this hotel, which was one of these sort of old country houses outside of the town. And this lens works really good for that sort of picture where you have a, a big space that you want to capture. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all the rest of the stuff because cameras and lenses are just the beginning. The Photoactive Podcast is brought to you by Take Control Books ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Take Control publishes books about Apple hardware and software, including books by Jeff and me. Take Control books help you understand your Mac or iOS device, focusing on topics such as keeping your devices working well, privacy, security, and how to use popular Apple and third-party apps. Take Control books are published like software. We offer free bug fixes and minor updates and discounted upgrades to new editions. Some Take Control books that might interest you include Jeff's Take Control of Your Digital Photos and Take Control of Lightroom CC, Jason Snell's Photos, a Take Control Crash Course, and I've written Take Control books about iTunes, Scrivener, Launch Bar, and Audio Hijack. We have a special offer for photoactive listeners. You can get 30% off any book using the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to takecontrolbooks.com slash photoactive, that's photoactive in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically. Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. So we've talked about cameras, we've talked about lenses. Those are the heaviest things that are going to be in your camera bag. Well, almost. I want to talk about two other essential items that you can't forget about. It's the SD cards and it's the batteries. SD cards don't weigh anything. Get as many as you can. Make sure you format them regularly you know, do the usual stuff, keep them protected from sand and sea and things like that. That's a no-brainer. And also, I will say this from personal experience, make sure that you actually have the SD card in your camera before you shoot. Some cameras have the warning that will tell you that this happens, but I recently did some shooting. And at one point I had turned off that warning on the camera because I was testing something. And uh, I made some beautiful, beautiful product shots that were never actually recorded. Probably the best shots you've made in years. They were amazing. They were amazing yep. because you can't see them. They were amazing. Yep. <laughs> yep. I love the contrast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so the second thing is batteries. Now, the thing about batteries is, I don't know, my cameras, I think they can get two to 300 shots, but this is variable. Depends on how much you're looking at the back screen. Depends on how much you're keeping the camera on when you're walking around. So what I do is I have two Fuji cameras that use the same battery. I have two extra batteries. I have a little charger that connects to USB that I can charge them even in the car using a car adapter to that thing that used to be for a cigarette lighter. 
And I always take with me a little portable battery pack, whether it's to charge my camera batteries or to charge my iPhone or anything else. I always have a battery pack. I'm not always walking around with it. It's something I'll leave in the trunk of the car. I'll leave in my suitcase in the hotel. But I always have that because it's not necessarily easy to find a way to charge things when you're on the road. This is true. And again, I know this from personal experience because there have been times when my batteries have run out and then that's the end of your shooting day because you really can't do anything else. And so um, having a little inexpensive USB battery charger, I have one, it's it's very light. I think it was maybe 20 bucks, maybe for my, my Fujis. And pairing that with a little battery charger literally allowed me to take shots. Uh, for example, when I was in New York recently, we were walking across the Brooklyn Bridge and the, the sky was amazing. It was a fantastic sunset and I was out of battery, but I had this and I had a little charger so that I could charge my phone if I needed to. And basically going from, you know, maybe two thirds of the bridge to three quarters of the bridge walking across, I was able to charge a battery just enough to get me through the, to the end. So that's something that... I would recommend, now that we're adding gear instead of removing gear, <laughs> but that absolutely pays dividends because you don't know when you're going to have some place to charge. So I said earlier, the camera, the lenses, these are the heaviest things, but there is one other item that can be heavier, and that's a tripod. I've got a tripod. I use it for shooting flowers in the garden. I may take it on trips someplace, but I'm not going to lug it when I walk around. And Now, if I'm on a hiking trip and I absolutely need to take long exposures or I know I'm going to be shooting at dusk and I need to take, you know, half second exposures, I'll bring the tripod. But I think it's one of the first things to say you probably don't need. And and there's always the option of taking one of those small, what was it? Gorillapod. Gorillapod, which is flexible. It's quite light. They're only about six inches tall. And instead of putting it on the ground, you wrap it around a branch, you put it on top of a car, you stick it on someone's head. You can put it pretty much anywhere. <laughs> I have a Gorillapod. I like them. I find that they're a little bit too fiddly sometimes just to try to get them in the right position. But you're right. Like in a pinch, they will absolutely work. In terms of larger tripods, again, I, I feel like I'm the, the poster child for what you probably shouldn't do. I have this amazing Manfrotto tripod that I've had for years and I've, I've taken it with me on, on various occasions, but it's a beast. It doesn't even know the concept of carbon fiber. It's, it's aluminum, it's heavy, and the only way I can justify keeping it is that I've not had circumstances where I'm like going and hiking a long distance. If I've been out shooting landscapes when I need it, when I really want it, and I find it super helpful, those are times when the tripod just gets pulled out of the back of the van or the car. But if you do anticipate that you're going to be hiking, you're going to be moving a long ways, it's absolutely worth spending the extra money for a lighter, sturdier tripod rather than getting something that is heavier and cheaper and also could quite honestly fall apart. Another option is to get a monopod. I have a monopod. It weighs roughly a third of the weight of my tripod, and, and my tripod's not a really expensive one. It's really quite light, so if you're on a long hike, you might be able to just stick that on your backpack, and you really won't feel the weight too much. Obviously, it's not as stable as a tripod, but I think that if you've got a camera where you can go to high ISOs and you're not going to be shooting really slow, it gives you enough stability. And, and what you can do is you can try like leaning against a tree 
and putting the camera on the monopod. So there you've essentially got four legs. You've got the one of the monopod, your two legs, and the tree holding you stable. It's not going to be as perfect as a tripod where you can just put the camera and walk away and then maybe even use a remote shutter release. But it, it is a good option if you think you might need stability, but you don't need that total stability. So far, we've been talking mostly about weight. And I also want to bring up some things that I thought I would use all the time and just never did. So, for example, I no longer put a UV filter at the end of my lenses. The conventional thinking is having that filter on the end of your lens doesn't help so much in terms of blocking UV light, but it is protecting the glass of your lens. So if, heaven forbid, the lens should drop, the camera should drop, what ends up breaking is the filter. And I've had that happen. The problem is so many of the UV filters are inexpensive, which is good in terms of your pocketbook, but the glass could introduce a little bit of distortion or sometimes if you're pointing at a light source you'll get like a, a double you know sun flare for example and so at one point i just decided to be more careful with my lenses and not have one you're a heathen <laughs> i will not use a lens without a uv filter ah. i don't buy the cheapest ones the thing is when I'm taking pictures, I've often got my camera slung over my shoulder, like bandolier style, and I'm not able to be that careful when I'm walking through a town, a city, there's people around. I'm not able to be careful enough that I can be sure to protect the lens. I don't like using a lens cap. I don't like the hassle of having to put it on and take it off. So for me, the filter is essential. But this is going to be a topic or a show where we will talk about all sorts of filters and we will talk about the great UV filter controversy. <laughs> now, when we're talking about filters, we're talking about a few grams each. They're not heavy. Of course, having one of those filter cases, the sort of foam Velcro-y cases with 10 or 20 filters, that starts taking up space and weight. On a related subject, if you're talking about filters, there are neutral density filters that you can get that either screw on to the end of your lens if it if it matches that size. But there's also some great systems where you basically screw on a mount and then slide in sheets of glass that provide the neutral density light blocking. But of course, you're really only going to use those if you're shooting something with a longer exposure, hence the need for a tripod. So in introducing one element of gear, you've introduced another. That's exactly it. Although, again, if you are out shooting landscapes a lot and you find this to be useful, then by all means, go and do it. And I was very tempted to get one of these systems. However, it's a bunch of different pieces. You have to you know, protect the, the uh, squares of glass. They tend to be quite heavy. And expensive. And expensive. And so for neutral density filters, I, I just have a fairly inexpensive set that just screw onto my, my lenses. And I find that to be perfectly fine. So when that gear acquisition syndrome kicks in, that I'm sure everybody is familiar with, you will see somebody who made amazing images and they made it with this great filter. It's okay to enjoy that, take a big deep breath, check your bank balance. And then say, oh, you know, I don't need that. I can get by with something else. Well, the person who took those photos might also have an assistant who serves as a Sherpa who carries all the stuff that they use. That's important to remember. Some of these pro landscape photographers probably don't go out alone. 
So in, in terms of other gear, the one thing I consider essential is some lens cleaning tools. I like that thing with the bubble that blows the air and, and the little brush at the end and, you know, a couple of microfiber cloths. I, I think that's a minimum because you're always going to get dust. You're going to smudge your lens. And particularly if you're not putting a UV filter in front of it, you're smudging the lens and not the filter. I don't feel bad when I clean off the smudges on my UV filter with a T-shirt, but I don't want to do that on my lens. <laughs> I have a whole bunch of little pocket wipes. I bought a box at Costco, and you throw 20 of them into your bag. You lose half of them in the bottom of the bag, and then when you need to clean your lens, you just dig and realize that there they are, and you can uh, clean right away. It's something that I tend to forget about until I turn my camera around every once in a while. This is important. Turn your camera around. Look at your lens. See if, if something is, is big and smudged because you won't necessarily see it looking through the viewfinder. And then, of course, when you're home and you realize that now you have to do a whole lot of healing repair in Photoshop because you had you know, a giant hair sticking to the end of your lens or something like that. So one area that can engender a lot of gear weight is lighting. If you do a lot of night shooting, or even if you're doing landscapes like in a forest, you might need some extra lighting. You'll need a flash. Flashes are heavy. They need batteries. The batteries need to be charged. You need spare batteries. And then maybe you want to do some special effects. So you need gels and you need stands for the light. I mean, this can go on forever. I actually bought a flash a couple months ago and I haven't really used it yet. I've never been a flash photographer, but I bought it because I wanted to try it for shooting flowers. What I did find really useful is a set of really cheap reflectors. I think this costs six pounds. It's got white, black, gold, and silver. And they're kind of folded up in a cheap case. And you open it up and they pop out. And you have to figure out how to fold them up again to put them in later. But using the white reflector, I tried shooting some flowers a few weekends ago. I did this indoors with natural light coming from one side. And I used the reflector and I was moving it around. And I was experimenting with light, learning how to use it. If you're shooting in nature and you're shooting some sort of a close-up, not even necessarily macro, you may want to have a reflector just to get some more light in the dark areas. The reflector's not heavy. The flash is a lot more heavy. And in fact, there are some reflectors that, that are quite small. I, I don't know what, what size yours are, but even you know something that's just like, like six inches when you open it can be helpful uh, in a situation like that. Also, if you have a, a diffuser, so basically the same idea, but it just blocks some of the light, that is great if you are shooting in the middle of the day or you know, you're shooting a picture of someone and you don't want that, that really harsh shadow. You just put the diffuser between the sunlight and your subject and it puts them in a nice shadow that's not super dark super easy to carry inexpensive very very useful i've learned recently that using light is really an art and this is even as you say outdoors with a diffuser with a reflector really simple things and the the difference in the quality of certain photos that i've taken you're shooting a flower and the light's coming from an angle, but you can't move the flower, so you can't get the shadow on the side that you want. And that little assistance can make a big difference. Now, you can actually just take a white T-shirt and use that as a reflector. There are lots of ways you can do this. You could use an umbrella as a diffuser. If you have a white umbrella, that works as a diffuser as well, or as a reflector if you turn it the other way around. So there are all sorts of options. You could even take a book, open it up, and let the sun bounce off that and reflect onto the flower. So there are a lot of options for, for doing that. Okay, we've talked about the stuff that we use to take the pictures, but what about taking a laptop or an iPad with you? 
what would be the purpose of doing that? So the main purpose is to have something where you can import and edit your photos while you're out. When I say while you're out, that can mean a couple of different things. I actually wrote a book about this, the iPad for photography. And what I have found interesting since then is that I don't follow some of my own advice because it sounded like good advice. In practice, it really wasn't. So I do like to have my iPad. I have a 9.7 inch iPad Pro. And I do do some editing and calling and keywording in Lightroom Mobile. So so for me, having that when I'm out and about is is very useful. What I thought would be useful that turned out not to be is having that on location, like when I'm shooting. Because my thinking was, and I, I did do this a few times, was being able to see what you're shooting on a larger screen than what the camera's LCD provides gives you an idea of how well you're you're hitting light, how well you're hitting the focus. However, the problem was it, it just takes too much time and effort to get the images from the camera to the iPad, the time it takes to import it and then bring it up and review it. I just ended up not actually doing it very often. Kirk, what about you? Do you carry something like that? I would never think of doing that. But again, I don't do these long photo safaris. If I'm traveling for a couple of days, I'll generally have an iPad with me. It'll be in my photo bag because that's where I'm going to carry it. But that's not the bag that I'm carrying when I'm taking pictures. It'll be there when I get back to the hotel or wherever I'm staying. I think the only people who need to do that in the field are people who are professionals who want to check really that the lighting is just perfect on what they've been shooting, for example. Um, other than that, it's just extra weight. And in those cases, those are people who probably already have other gear or they're doing portrait shoots or something that's that's really a level up that they need that sort of, of review. Right. Like, let's say they're doing wedding photos or yeah, yeah. getting that picture in front of the sunset. You want to make sure it's perfect because you can't do it again. But they have Sherpas, don't they? <laughs> so other than that, I just don't carry much gear. A couple other things that I was thinking that some people might have is if you do take a lot of pictures and you want to make sure that you're not going to lose them, you can get some portable battery powered hard drives that have SD card slots in them. You can pop the cards in, copy your files over. And some of these hard drives also serve as battery packs so you can charge your batteries at the same time. That might be useful if you're planning to go out for a long time. I, I particularly worry about losing things. I'm a backup fundamentalist. I back up my backups. So one thing I take with me is that little Apple, what's it called? That dongle that you can put into an iPhone or an iPad. You stick your SD card in and it copies your files. So even though I'm not going to want to put them in the cloud, I just want to make copies of them at the end of the day or sometimes even during the day. There's just one other category that I want to touch on briefly. And I know this is going a bit longer than what we'd like. I love my Fuji X100F. And I'm in a Facebook group of people who use the X100F. And they're all talking about... Ooh, I want to get a half case. Ooh, I want to get a thumb grip. Ooh, I want to get a soft shutter release button. I don't have any of these things. I don't see why people need them. They, they're more weight. They're more gadgetry. Of course, it's you're accessorizing. Your, it's like you're putting fins on your car when you do things like that. But that's just extra weight. I can see making an argument for something like a shutter button that gives you more of a mechanical feel. But I say that without actually having... Uh, ever used one. But you're right. Some of it is just like the the fetishization of photography and making it your own. And it does seem like it's a little excessive. I 
don't own a photo vest. A photo vest is, it's sort of like a fishing vest, but for, for photography that professional photographers who shoot the Olympics or sports, something that has all the pockets and, and all of that. They, they were designed to put all those rolls of film in. Exactly, exactly. And when I first started in photography, there was that sense of, you know, well, of course, I, I must get a photo vest because I'm going to have all this other stuff. Unless you are on the sidelines of a NFL football game or a World Cup match, I can't really see why you would need a photo vest at all. I don't think Cartier-Bresson ever had a photo vest. He probably invented it. <laughs> so it's time for our snapshots. What do you have this week, Jeff? So talking about going on location and, and bringing lots of gear made me think of an app that I use quite a bit called TPE, the Photographer's Ephemeris. And there are a lot of apps that are like this. What it does is it will tell you uh, not only when sunrise and sunset is, which is great for landscape photography, but it will show you on a map where that light is coming from. So you can say, all right, I know that sunset is at you know 6.57 p.m. and the golden hour is going to start 40 minutes before that and it's going to be in that corner of the sky. So you can plan on where the, the light is going to be and where it's going to be striking. So if you're in a specific area and you want to get the light against the cliff, you'll know what time the light is going to be best against the cliff. Is that it? Exactly, exactly. It also um, tracks like moonrise and and uh, it's it actually has more information than you probably know what to do with, which is a good problem to have. <laughs> How about you this week? I've talked about shooting flowers, something I really like. And not long ago, I bought what's called a helping hand or helping hands. I'll link in the show notes, obviously, and you'll see what this looks like. It has a heavy metal base, and then it has a crossbar. And on each end of the crossbar is an alligator clip. Now, these are initially designed for things like soldering or doing crafts. You can also use them to hold flowers or anything else you shoot in macro photography. So you can cut a flower off, put it into one of the clips and tilt it and move it around to get the light that you want. And it's got two clips if you want to have two flowers or put something else in the second clip. This is not something you maybe want to carry around, but if you are doing specific macro photography outdoors, you probably do want something like this in your bag because it will save you a lot of trouble. Even if you don't cut a flower off, you can maybe position it in such a way that the alligator clip is holding it away from what's getting in the way. So you can still take a picture of a flower without killing it. This is relatively cheap. I paid four pounds for mine on Amazon UK. One last mention, not really a snapshot, but a plug. Jeff, you got a new book coming out this week, don't you? I do, a new Take Control book. Take Control of Your Digital Storage. The idea being, as photographers, we know this, we are using more and more storage, and there are more and more ways of, of dealing with it, whether that's uh, hard drives, SSDs, network-attached storage. And so it's a book that covers all of that. And how to back up your backups, right? Of course. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 30% off any purchase at Take Control Books with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. 
go to takecontrolbooks.com slash photoactive. That's photoactive in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically. Until next week, thanks again for listening.